Recovery Elevator, episode 82. It's not the death in the family or the, the loss of a lover that makes you drink again. It's the broken shoelace. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for one year, 11 months, and two weeks at the time of this recording. On today's podcast, we've got Chad. He's 25 years old. He's been sober for 37 days, and like myself, he was previously sober for 2.5 years. Find out why, after almost two and a half years of sobriety, he drank again. But before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let me just pull up my addictions notebook here. I've got alcohol, check. Nicotine, smokeless tobacco, check. Substances yet to be addicted to would be crack, heroin, pain pills, PCP, speed, meth, glue, cocaine, and a whole bunch of other shit I really don't want to become addicted to. But hey, if I want to do a podcast about addiction, about sobriety, I want to be well-versed. I want first-hand experience in what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm kidding, Recovery Elevator. However, in September of 2015, I had a really tough week. Fortunately, I didn't drink. A drink wasn't even an option. But I did dibble-dabble with smokeless tobacco. That would be snuff, Copenhagen, those pouches, that disgusting stuff you put inside your mouth and spit into a spittoon. You may have previously heard me talking about this on the podcast. To create accountability, I had asked for virtual slaps. Thank you very much. I got over 100 virtual slaps. My face virtually stung for a month. But after trying to quit smokeless tobacco for nearly five months, it became demoralizing. I'd always thought alcohol and nicotine and all these other addictions were completely separate. But in the end, it was an addiction just like alcohol. And I encourage you, while you're listening to this podcast episode, focus on the similarities and not the differences. When I say smokeless tobacco slash nicotine, just replace that with alcohol or whatever you're struggling with right now. Because the parallels, they are remarkably similar, including the way that I am now 39 days off of the smokeless tobacco, and gosh darn, that was freaking hard. I've often heard that quitting smoking or quitting chewing tobacco is as hard, if not harder, than quitting alcohol. My answer to that previously, no effing way. However, the shit burrito that I was eating daily after my decision to stop using chewing tobacco enforced just that. It was freaking hard. And right now, I can honestly say quitting smokeless tobacco was just as hard, if not harder, than quitting drinking. I'm sorry if that discourages anybody, but I want to keep this podcast transparent and tell it how it really is. However, that's only my experience. It might be totally different from you. And hopefully, you're listening to this podcast and you don't even start with a chewing tobacco. That's embarrassing. I was 33 years old, went through a little rough patch in my life experienced life and and what life does best, throwing challenges our way, and at least I didn't take a drink, but I went for a can of dip. Man. But, on the bright side, 
I'm one of the lucky ones right now. Half the people who smoke are killed by smoking. And there's a similar stat with chewing tobacco. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm nearly 40 days off the chewing tobacco. I'm not out of the woods yet, but I think I get, oh, I was just about to say, but I think I got this. I don't, but I'm taking it one day at a time. Wait a second. Does that sound familiar right there? That is correct. How I quit the chewing tobacco. And for all you listeners saying chewing tobacco, I would never do such a stupid thing. Just replace alcohol because the way I quit alcohol was the exact way that I quit chewing tobacco. And it wasn't until I got to that point, applying those parallels to quitting chewing tobacco that I even stood a chance. So here's how it went down. Yeah, I woke up about 50, 60 mornings in a row, said today I am not doing chewing tobacco. Oftentimes on the ride to work, the traffic was bad. It was too hot outside. Third eye blind did not come up on my Sirius XM radio yet. I was pissed. I was uncomfortable. So I veered off into a gas station and I had chewing tobacco in my mouth. Sound very familiar to alcohol, right? Sometimes I lasted the full day. Sometimes I went two, three days, but eventually I relapsed. Yeah, it was strikingly similar to alcohol. That feeling of just complete defeat. Like what the heck happened? I had made a very clear decision, but now I know my unconscious mind, it wasn't getting the memo. I had made a decision to stop chewing tobacco, but my unconscious mind never received the message. And it was about 45 days ago, a thought came to my mind. The thought was this, what's the point of living a life like this where I can't control my chewing tobacco or addiction? Holy shit, that terrified me and stopped me dead in my tracks. Because the last time that spontaneous thought came into my mind in the summer of 2014, I acted upon it with a failed suicide attempt. As soon as that near tangible thought arrived in my mind, I stopped and said, holy shit, I have got to stop this right now. And that's exactly what I did. Basically to a T the way I quit drinking. I realized I was powerless over this nicotine stuff. I was looking way too far in the future. Now I'm not going to get into like a step-by-step basis of how I quit nicotine, but the most important thing that I did is I made a firm decision just to stop. Another thing I did, I took it 10 minutes at a time. Hell, I took it one minute at a time. I told everybody in my office, everybody around me, my good friends, my brother, my mom, and dad. What is that called? Hmm, might've heard this word before, accountability. I let people in on my struggles. It wasn't something that I harbored inside myself and tried to go out alone. If you've heard previous podcast episodes of how I got sober, it wasn't until I had those very important conversations with people close to me in my life that I even had a chance of quitting drinking. So no coincidence, after I came into my office, told my employees, hey guys, this is what's happening in my life. I have to quit chewing tobacco. I'm going to be less present for the next two to three weeks. If I am successful, I will be more present down the road and probably, hopefully, definitely, I have to be more pleasant to be around. And my good heavens, recovery elevator, those three weeks, they sucked. Just going to straight up say it. They sucked. I wanted to quit every day. I wanted to quit quitting. Yeah. How lame does that sound? I wanted to quit quitting chewing tobacco. I was done feeling those extremely negative emotions. My brain had to rewire itself. I couldn't form complete sentences. My memory sucked. I was having the shakes, the sweats, the withdrawals. An extremely mild hot day of 82 degrees in Bozeman, Montana felt like 140 degrees. It was miserable, but each day it got a little better and I never kept my eye off the prize. I took that blind leap of faith knowing that 38 days later where I'm at right now, things are going to be just fine. 
And guess what? Things are just fine. Now, one thing that made quitting chewing tobacco easier for me, despite the fact I had to tell girls, friends, my family, my mom, hey, mom, at age 33, I tried Copenhagen. Cool. How do you feel about that, mom? Besides telling everybody that and the embarrassment of that, the stigma really wasn't there. Everybody knows that nicotine, cigarettes, chewing tobacco are extremely addictive. Everybody knows it's extremely difficult to quit. And also, there's a lot of public support. There's campaigns on TV, quit chewing tobacco. And it was about five days before I started, I saw an ad on TV with a young man who's 23 years old. The bottom part of his jaw was removed because he had started chewing tobacco at age 14. That photo? Holy shit. I don't want that. Yeah. I basically made a decision, created accountability, and stuck with it. Quitting an addiction is not that simple. However, I used a lot of the parallels that I'd learned before, applied them to this, and I'm almost 40 days off of chewing tobacco. Recovery Elevator, I'll be BSing you if I tell you if you quit drinking, that cravings will completely disappear in the first month. But hey, here's some good news. This was actually remarkable news. There were days where my mind was so out of whack, I contemplated if I was schizophrenic or not. I'm not joking to you right now. However, during this tumultuous three to four weeks time of my life, a drink was never an option. How crazy is that? I wanted to escape reality, my current feelings that I was feeling more than anything. And I tried really hard to do just that. How I tried to do that was exercise. I tried to meditate. I tried to go on long hikes and bike rides. I tried to go to movies with friends. I met with my sponsor extra times. I called people in Cafe RE. I let people in on what I was doing. I mean, those are pretty remarkable, healthy habits that I've developed somehow in my recovery. Pretty crazy. But to drink never crossed my mind because I knew with 100% certainty that a drink would make that situation a whole hell of a lot worse. Yeah, so I guess that's pretty cool. And almost 40 days off the chewing tobacco, I've lost weight, my body feels so much better, I've saved money, Oh, and I'm also not spitting chewing tobacco on the pavement everywhere. That's pretty cool, I guess. Another silver lining to this experience was I got to take another first-hand look at how scary addiction was. My incredible short memory, that's a scary thing. The date of my last drink is getting further and further away. The details, the nuances, the smells, the sights, the colors, everything about my last drink, those are somewhat fading away. The pain points, they're not quite as sharp. But not too long ago, with chewing tobacco, I saw the depths of addiction firsthand again. It's hard. And I am eating my words right now that I said on my own podcast. Things like, if you're smoking cigarettes, you need to stop doing that right now. Preaching, basically. Not understanding that addiction for what it really is. An addiction. So another benefit that I really shouldn't even have is I can now talk about quitting chewing tobacco and nicotine with firsthand experience. Next up, I got crack, heroin, PCP. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm not going to learn the hard way with any of that stuff again. I don't want to know anything about cocaine or any of that other stuff. Alcohol and nicotine, that was enough. That's more than enough for me to handle my short lifespan on planet Earth. After we hear from Chad, I want to talk to you guys about a scary experience I had this last weekend with my fantasy football draft. And now let's hear from Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing well. How are you, Paul? Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Chad. Let's get right into it. How long have you been sober? 
I have been sober for, if I'm looking at my uh, calculator correctly, I'm at 37 days. Boom. Nice job getting that one-month milestone. Is that the first time you've been sober for 30 days? It actually is not. I racked up about two and a half years of sobriety in a previous life, I should say, and you know, just kind of tried to do things on my own self-will, let that run right a little bit, and uh, you know, getting back into it and, and feeling better than ever. Shit, Chad, you and I are like the same guy. I also, I also have two and a half years of sobriety and kind of let my self-will and my ideas take the reins. And yeah, that was like a totally different lifetime too because I thought, ah, oh, two and a half years, I can get sober again. Holy shit, it was really hard. So congrats on the 37 days. Thanks, yeah. And you know what? It, it doesn't get any easier. So the best thing you can do is just get sober, stay sober if you can help it. Yeah, like I know I've got another drink in me, but I don't know, and I can say this with 100% certainty, I don't know if I have another recovery in me, and that's terrifying to think about. Absolutely, and you know, I'm right there with you. not sure if I've got another one in the cards for me either, so I'm not going to risk it. Yeah, and before we get any further, Chad, let's hear more about you, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, are you married, do you have a family, and maybe what do you like to do for fun? So I am 25 years old. I currently work in the communications field. Uh, I do some marketing and public relations for a few larger corporations. I am born and raised in Atlanta. I've lived all over the world. My father works in real estate and uh, most of my time in my teen years was spent in the Middle East. I've lived in Saudi Arabia, Libya, Qatar, and uh, the UAE, which is where I graduated from high school. I am not married and not in a relationship, which is one of the things that I would strongly uh, recommend not partaking in if you're early in sobriety. I've learned that the hard way multiple times. And what I like to do for fun, I'm really into backpacking. You know, my, my re rehabilitation treatment center, you know, was one of those wilderness uh, outdoor experiences. And ever since then, I've been hooked, went all the way up and down, you know, a good bit of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, I haven't looked back ever since. Wow, that's incredible. Have you been able to find, you know, are, are you spiritual? Is that where you locate your higher power out there in the wilderness? So like many people that I've heard on uh, previous episodes of your uh, podcast, I am a lapsed Catholic. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, uh, you know, K through 12 Catholic school felt a bit doctrinated by that. So I didn't really get down with the traditional sure. perception of a God and particularly with organized religion. So coming into AA, I kind of had a clean slate. And, you know, when I was told that I could make up a higher power of my own understanding, I decided to make it, I wouldn't call it the force, but, it, you know, more of like this presence that, you know, binds all of humanity and all of, uh, you know, living creatures together. And that's sure. all I needed to know. And it worked for me. Nice. I love it. I was actually two days ago, I was walking with my dog and I saw a black bear. It was incredible. Wow. Yeah. And it didn't quite see us yet. Like I, I ordered a bear bell on Amazon and it hasn't arrived yet, but you know, it was, it was like a small black bear. It was about 60 yards, 50 yards away and it was raining and the sun was coming through the, through the pine trees. It's like, holy shit. It was incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and Chad, Talk to me about your drinking habits before you got sober 37 days ago and maybe before the two and a half years of sobriety. How much did you drink? Oh, man. So, you know, to, to preface it, I avoided drinking and, uh, you know, other recreational activities of that nature really up until the summer before I went to college. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't because I... I was just so happy and well-adjusted young man, and I, you know, didn't need <laughs> all of these other things to, you know, uh, 
boost my self-confidence or, or, you know, interact in social settings. It was more just because I was afraid. I was afraid that, you know, something would happen to me, you know, call it Catholic guilt. I'm not even sure. I was afraid that, you know, the second that I drank, that I would, you know, become this totally different person. Little did I realize that would become a self-fulfilling prophecy much further down the road. But, you know, when I was getting into it, uh, I, you know, I joined a fraternity in college that kind of instilled uh, or set the foundation for what my drinking was to become from then on out. It was constantly in a binge setting. Um, I was surrounded only by that. That was the only example I had of drinking. So, you know, when my friends decided to settle down for the night and that determined that the party was over, I had not had enough yet. And so my party carried on throughout the day. I think in the depths of my addiction before going to my first treatment center, I was drinking close to uh, like a 750 milliliter bottle of nasty, like Burnett's vodka sure, just about sure. once a day. Yeah. You're on the college budget. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you got to save when you're uh, trying to fuel your addiction. So, you know, at least I was being responsible there. <laughs> yeah. And did you ever try to be like, all right, I'm only doing a 500 milliliter plastic bottle of Burnett's vodka today or like cut it back or put rules in place? I mean, you name a tactic and I tried it. I, I went from I'm only going to drink after 5 p.m. or I'm only going to drink once class gets out or I'm not going to mix my alcohol with Xanax today because I know that that's going to enable me to uh, not be able to drink as much. Sure. You know, <laughs> textbook. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It, you know, I did the, the straight beer thing, uh, you know, and nothing ever worked because, you know, the second that I lose my inhibition, I forget these rules I've set in place and I go straight back to liquor and eventually vodka, which, you know, became my drink of choice. So it sounds like you went to rehab around age 22, 23. Yep. That's correct. Yeah, and, and tell me about that. Oh man, the place I went to, it was fantastic. It was, uh, in the Pisgah national forest. Uh, I went there. Uh, I had been broken and battered down just about as much as you can. I had one, I was one semester shy of graduating. Uh, and I came to this place that, uh, you know, actually didn't, specifically denote AA as, and, you know, the spiritual program principles and all that as its main, like, uh, guideline or, or, or North Star, but it did kind of allude to it. And, I, and I'm grateful for that because I feel like I was in no place to, you know, feel like I was alienated by some sort of organized thing again. So if, if that was presented as the only solution for me, I don't think it would have held. So you know, went there and basically just learned how to relearn how to live life. I, I got a, a series of skills. Uh, you know, they taught us survivalism. They taught us self-soothing techniques, meditation, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, I realized that rehab isn't always an option for everybody. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that because I think it set me up for a lot of success further on down the road. And, and it's definitely what I attribute to my two and a half years of sobriety now when you stop working the program and you stop using the skills that they teach you, it so quickly changes. I mean, you, and, and, and it's totally unexpected too. It's in situations that, you know, uh, actually I had an old sponsor that had a really good analogy for it. It's, it's not the death in the family or the, the loss of a lover that makes you drink again. It's the broken shoelace. It's the little things that just sneak in and catch you off guard at the exact moment and your brain tricks you and you're right back at it. Totally. So yeah, long, long story short, uh, wow. love my experience and you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for it and it's, it's serving me well today for now, as long as I keep doing it. Yeah. And so the rehab clinic was a 12 step based or, or the, so they didn't use AA, but was a 12 step based rehab facility. 
Yeah. So what they did was they kind of gave you a preliminary, I don't know what you'd call it. It, it was almost like a preface to the first four steps. And, you know, they, they even called it step one, two, three, and four. And then your goal upon graduation was to take what you had learned and then work with a sponsor in a program setting, you know, to, to really go through with it should you decide that AA was the way to go. Now, if you expressed early on that you had some reservations about using the program, they had a separate deal for you to pursue if that was the case. And, you know, a lot of that was cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, a lot of the stuff that they recommend in tandem with a program of spiritual action. So, um, you know, it was kind of up to me to decide that. I decided, you know, I was going to give the AA thing a shot. Sure. And so that's the track that I pursued. So Chad, after two and a half years of sobriety, what was your shoelace? Oh man. Huh. So I was, you know, and as it starts for so many people or so many men in recovery, you know, it was, it was a lady friend, you know, I was going on a first date with a girl that I perceived to be way out of my league. And, you know, if I'm being honest, she sure as heck was, uh, <laughs> you know, she was older, she was cute. She was a, a, a lawyer who went to like a top five law school. I had no idea what I did to deserve her. And, you know, we sit down at the uh, restaurant that we were at that, you know, is serving alcohol. And I was so nervous. I, I remembered very quickly that, oh, you know, when I had like a drink or two, like I was in my, my Goldilocks zone. I wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. It just, everything worked and I was smooth. And so, you know, I started entertaining the thought and then I realized how embarrassed I would be if on a first date it came out that I didn't drink. And, you know, then having to explain that, which I've come to realize that you don't owe anyone an explanation. And, you know, it's, if somebody is not going to be willing to support you early on that you're, you know, a recovering addict or alcoholic, that's probably not somebody that you want to have as a significant part of your life. Oh, so, totally. yeah. So long story short, again, took a drink, one drink led to two drinks, and then that was it. Suddenly I had this confidence that I could drink like a gentleman, as they say in the book. And, it, you know, one thing led to another. And then three months later, I was back to blacking out every time I started drinking. With the same girl blacking out every night or did she? Oh, once I started blacking out, she dropped me like a bad habit. Okay. I mean, it, it took about two months for her to realize that something was up and that I didn't drink or function normally. So she decided, we decided to, uh, to part ways. So yeah, it was unfortunate that she left because I feel like, you know, it could have been a match had I been in the right state of mind and had I been working the program's uh, principles that have been laid out for me. But, you know, I'm of the belief that things happen for a reason and that I had that experience so that I could add that to my ever-growing list of reasons why not to drink. So grateful for it, unfortunate, but, you know, that's life. Things happen. Yeah, you got to learn those lessons the hard way. And I know I did many times. And where I'm at with my drinking right now and my comfort level and my sobriety, I've used this as a filter and actually in my advantage when I'm on dates with girls. I'm almost, I'm almost like welcoming because I wait, you know, it's going to come up like, oh, you're just going to get a soda water with cranberry and a, and a lime. Like, what do you not drink? And I almost wait it. I wait for it instead of dread it like I used to. And before it's like, oh God, here comes the question. What am I going to lie about? You know, what am I going to make up? But now what I say, yeah, I don't drink. And they're going to say like, what? You don't drink? They're going to ask another question. Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't drink. I've been sober for almost two years. I just found out my, I'm like an open book. And, and right now I'll be like, yeah, here's a link to the podcast. I go, go, you know, here's the story. But, right. uh, but like, here's the thing. The girls would be like, huh, interesting. The last 47 guys I went on dates with, they all drank. 
Like here's a guy who's different and it, it's weird how it like totally works in my favor now. But, um, yeah, so it was two and a half years you, you drank and within two months the girl left you. How long did you go back out for? Oh man. You know, I would get periods of sobriety. My normal period would last about 30 days or so anywhere from two weeks to 30 days. And I would intermittently go to meetings. I would intermittently reach out to old sponsors and people that I had in my recovery network. And it, it kind of got to the point where the jig was up and, you know, they, they found it difficult to support me because I would continuously, you know, promise that I was going to get back into the work, you know, really go to meetings with regularity, you know, work the steps over again and, you know, God bless these, these people in AA for putting up with my nonsense. But uh, they never totally gave up on me, but they did give me some tough love. And I think it took about, which I guess if I'm doing the math, that'd be about seven months or so going in and out of recovery. And now I'm, I'm you know, the, the 37 days I have now is the longest I've had since that, since that episode with the girl. Sure. So I'm feeling really good about it now. I, you know, I'm, I'm working the program with some bigger and hope to stay sober, uh, you know, from here on out. But as we like to say, you know, you got to take it one day, one hour, one minute, one second at a time. So just trying to do that for once. And Chad, you're seven days past that 30 day threshold that you just mentioned. Are you in the program, the Alcoholics Anonymous program? Are you working with a sponsor? I am. Yeah. You know, I have laid it out with my sponsor that I, I feel for me that I need to get relief quickly, uh, much like in my drinking. And so I've, I've translated that into my recovery. So what we're trying to do is average doing about one step every week. Um, I know a lot of people that, you know, take a good long bit to do their 12 steps. I'm of the opinion that, you know, I want to get down to it as, as quickly and as thoroughly as I can. So we're trying to do this little like 12 week program. So right now I'm at about, I'm on the fourth step, doing my inventory. That's taking a little longer than a week. You know, I'm trying to make sure I'm being thorough here. So, so yeah, you know, AA is working for me and I'm going to keep doing it until it doesn't work. And I don't imagine it will if I, you know, keep doing it. So. Yeah. And what else does your recovery portfolio look like? You've got a sponsor, you're doing the AA and you're on, you know, 37 days. You should be starting your fourth step. If you haven't started already, if it's one step a week, what else do you do? So besides listening to uh, recovery elevator, which I, you know, I always go back to old episodes. There's uh, three or four in particular that are my favorites because they speak to me. Which ones are uh, those out of curiosity? So one is, a guy from who's actually also, I believe, from Atlanta or outside of Atlanta. I think he had about eight years of sobriety, but buddy, yeah, yeah. buddy, that's right, buddy, yeah. love buddy, yep. yeah, he's great, you know. And I also really like listening to the people that you know have uh, you know shorter periods of sobriety because I feel like when I go to meetings. I hear a lot of, you know, the old timers that, you know, have 20, 25 years. And, you know, for me, that's, that's looking into a future that's really cloudy and hazy to me. I like to break it down into much smaller bits of time because where I get tripped up is when I'm future tripping and thinking so far in advance that I end up losing myself and leaving myself susceptible to another drink. So I really like listening to the people that you have on here. I think one of them, you know, might have even had, I don't even know if they had 24 hours. They, they might've, I think, you know, maybe it was like two days or something, but I wish I could quote the episode number, 
But I really like listening to those in particular. And I think that you, your podcast provides a really unique perspective in that regard because that's not something that you typically hear in meetings. And I personally, and I'm sure much of your audience uh, is greatly appreciative of. Well, well, Chad, I, I appreciate you mentioning that. And really, I do this as part of my recovery. This is part of my recovery portfolio. I just happen to be recording it and uploading it to Libsyn, which then iTunes pulls from that. But I know what you mean about the old timer in the rooms. It's difficult for me if I'm trying to quit drinking because I remember those days when I had a week of sobriety, a day of sobriety, and I hear a guy who's been sober for 24 years talk. It's, it's difficult for me to relate to that. I can relate to you, Chad, who's been sober for 37 days, a hell of a lot more than I can relate to the guy who's had 24 years of sobriety. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's funny. You mentioned that guy, Buddy. He actually he does these long motorcycle races. And he texted me or emailed me. He's like, hey, I'm going to be in Bozeman in a day. Like, you want to meet up? And he's awesome. I met Buddy in person. Wow. He's the real deal. It's so cool. Oh, and I mean, he totally sounds like it. And, you know, that's, that's the crazy thing about recovery is that, you know, these relationships that we form, it goes far beyond, you know, the face value relationships that you have at work or, you know, while you're doing a hobby or something. This is, this is a connection that's so much deeper than that because you both – uh, you know, I feel like people in recovery can relate to each other on a level that's just really unseen in the world that you interact with on a daily basis because you think similarly to them and you, uh, you know, react to things in a, in a similar way. And because of that, it creates this connection that, again, it's just it's crazy. It's it, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. The, the, the community is, is amazing. And Chad, when your next shoelace happens. And that is just a question of not if, but when, when life comes knocking and it's the shoelace. I love what you said about that. It's not like the relative passing. It's not the major life circumstances. It's your freaking shoelace breaks when you're trying to tie it. Like when that happens again, what do you plan on doing differently? Well, the way that I default is whatever I'm thinking in that moment, I should probably do the opposite of. (laughs) I, I, D D W D like don't do what Chad would do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, my thinking would be, I need to handle the situation on my own. I, I, I have to take care of this, you know? And, and if I can't, like I, I, I can't sit still, I can't do anything. I have to, I have to change the way I'm feeling. So what I have started doing, and you know what, there have been a few broken shoelaces in this 37 day period. Um, and what I do now is I ask for help. And that is something that has consistently been so difficult for me in the past because it's admitting that you're, first of all, admitting that you need help is a sign that you are feeling weak in the moment, that you need to reach out for a different resource. And, you know, it it takes a lot of humility and a lot of uh, character. And it's a sign of somebody who's, uh, you know, in in my case, as a man, it's, it's, you know, a sign of someone being a a man, you know, somebody being willing to level themselves and, and ask for help, which a lot of times our society doesn't really uh, promote. So to answer your question, it's calling my sponsor, calling my recovery network. It's maybe it's turning on the podcast and, and, and letting the tape play through and making sure that I am not indulging in these behaviors I know are going to harm me. Chad, I agree 100% with what you said about asking for help. It's so hard. Our society, we're ingrained as a man, a male in the society that I shouldn't be asking for help. I should not wear my emotions on the sleeve. And if I do ask for help, you bet your ass I'm not going to be fully honest about it, right? Hey, you know, I'm having a bad day. Maybe we can see a movie. I'm not going to really tell them what's going on. But I know what you mean. And it's a courageous thing to ask for help. And I, this is, this is not alcohol related, but, um, I, this is like day six for me without chewing tobacco. I know it's disgusting. I got about 75 virtual slaps. 
day seven. And yeah, like I, I tried the approach of being courageous and like trying to fight and control it. Now I'm learning it's also courageous to run away. So a couple times last week, especially on Thursday and Friday, we we're like getting an air conditioning unit installed in the office. And I was getting, I was getting to the point. I'm like, you know what? There's a chance I could fight through this and make it without dipping. But I just said like, all right, guys, see you later. I got my car and I drove to the mountains where I, there was no convenience stores and just sat there for like four hours by myself. Yeah, that's that's the kind of things that we have to do. You know, it it seems excessive at the time or in the moment. But man, when you make it through a craving and you let the tape play through like that feeling of accomplishment and that feeling that that general good feeling is awesome. It's better than any drink would give me. That's the new high that I'm chasing is the one that I get out of the satisfaction of not drinking for a 24 hour period. And, you know, it's something that I, in my nightly prayers or whatever, that's, that's the first thing that I, that I say to myself that I'm grateful for and thankful for, because those are things I didn't appreciate before. Uh, even in the two and a half years of sobriety, I, I didn't think of it like that. It was more of like a, oh, well, I'll just stay sober so that my parents get off my back or I'll stay sober <laughs> so that I don't get fired tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but now it's a totally different ball game. I'm finally doing it for myself instead of other people. And I think that's the key difference too, is you got to do it for yourself. You have to do it for yourself. Not because your parents didn't want you to get off your back. Mm-hmm. Um, quick question. What's your favorite Atlanta hip hop star? I mean, it, it gosh, a dumb question. Are you going to make me, are you going to make me break apart the, the duo of outcast and make me pick a favorite? Or can I just say outcast? You can just say outcast, but like, give me the lineup from Georgia. There's where's ludicrous from. Ludacris is from the ATL. He is he is uh, born and raised. Yeah, ATL that is an airport code for Atlanta. I love Ludacris. Awesome. Oh man, you know what? He's uh, he hasn't come out with too many hits recently, but man, you you dig in the crates and you find his older stuff. You you, you can't not love Luda. Um, Unreal. But- Unreal. And he says my area code of nine seven zero when I was in Colorado, like super small area code. I just wait at, at two minutes and seventeen seconds in that song. He's like nine seven zero. Yes, Ludacris. Oh man. You know, and that's the love that comes from the South. You know, we're, we're willing to share it. And you know what? If you've earned it, then you get it. And if you get an endorsement from Luda, you can be damn sure that that's an endorsement that'll go a long way. Man, I wasn't really earning it that often, but I fell under the umbrella. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, take yeah, it. Take I love it. it. Take it and run. Yeah. And Chad, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, so that'd be great. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Oh, this is so easy. Uh, in November of last year, I got behind the wheel of my car uh, and decided that it'd be a good idea to visit a friend in North Carolina, uh, which is about a four-hour drive away. Jesus. And two two bottles of vodka with me in the front seat. Uh, long story short, I ended up in Raven County, which is where they filmed Deliverance, uh, with a DUI, a, a busted car. Thank God I didn't kill anybody, but woke up in jail the next day, not knowing where the hell I was. And that is by far my worst memory. How far did you make it? Uh, so Raven County is like the northeastern corner of Georgia. So if you do if you do a straight line uh, from Atlanta to Charlotte, I was off by quite a bit. Oh, you were yeah. like not even the right direction on the right road. No, absolutely not. Oh, no. that's awesome. I, I love it when there's two answers. I'm like, hey, what was your worst memory from drinking? The, the, one answer is like, oh, I've got so many. And the other ones are like, oh, obviously this one. I love yeah. it. And next question, we've all heard of the aha moment, Chad. Was, was there ever a time you realized, oh, shit, I can't control my drinking? Uh, you would think it would have been that time, but <laughs> no, I don't think it was. I think my aha moment really happened 
probably 37 days ago when I had a coworker pull me aside and ask me point blank if I was drunk in the last meeting. And I think that's when my two worlds collided. It suddenly it didn't it wasn't just a personal thing that I could deal with outside of the professional realm. Now those two worlds had melded into one and I realized that if I didn't get this under control, I was going to lose my job. And the only thing that I felt like I was my life was worth fighting for was my professional career. And next question, when a coworker pulls you aside and asks, were you drunk at the last board meeting? What did you say? No, of course not. I'm just trying a new medication. Gotcha. Yeah. Did he buy it or she buy it? Oh, hell no. Absolutely gotcha. not. Yeah, no. definitely not. Next question, Chad, what's your plan on sobriety moving forward? My plan is to continue to utilize the network that I've been building and to continue building that network one of my biggest problems has always been that, you know, as I alluded to earlier, that I'm so afraid to ask for help. Well, if I'm constantly surrounding myself with other alcoholics that are trying to get sober, then it's not so difficult because I have this level of trust with them and they know all of my deep, dark secrets and I know all of theirs. And uh, I think by surrounding myself with recovery in that regard, you, you'd be hard pressed not to find some success out of that. And Chad, what's your favorite resource in recovery? Well, you know, the default answer would be to say Recovery Elevator Podcast. <laughs> Besides that, yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> One of my other ones that I'm not sure a lot of your audience might be aware of is on Reddit. There is a great subreddit called slash r slash stop drinking. And it's, it's a non-program based subreddit that people can, you know, chat in a community in a forum and, you know, basically inquire everything that there is to know about alcoholism and how people have gotten through it. There's quite a few AA people that are involved and that are moderators, but it's, it, it was so helpful for me. Wow. Um, my first time getting sober and it's a huge community. We're talking thousands and thousands of people with tons of sobriety and tons of great things to share, not just in AA, but also in smart recovery, which is one of the other programs. And, uh, you know, even just in cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's, it's a great resource. And listeners, you can go to this podcast episode, recoveryelevator.com and show notes. We're going to put a link to where you can find that forum in Reddit. Next question in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? I would have to say that my best piece of advice is one word and it can be summed up as footwork. That's the only thing that matters. It's what action you're taking, putting one foot in front of the other in order to ensure that you stay sober the next day. I think a lot of people get tripped up, uh, no pun intended, on you know not th being paralyzed by fear. What if I have to do this program and I have to work these steps? You know, what is that going to mean for me moving forward? Does it mean I'm never going to have fun again? Don't think about that. Put one foot in front of the other. Follow your feet. See what happens. If it ends up not working out for you. Fine. Go out and drink again and see if that works. And if it doesn't, then you know what to do. Follow your feet. What parting piece of guidance can you give to someone who's thinking about quitting drinking? I would say to listen to the examples that people have provided, examine the evidence of your, of your drinking habits or however your life looks like today and determine for yourself if it's worth it and what you're willing to do to get back on track and to be happy because what you're doing right now clearly isn't working. And if it were, then you wouldn't be looking up recovery resources. So, you know, just try and take an objective look at it, see what your options are, weigh them, and then take action. That's a huge value bomb, what you just said right there, Chad. If your ideas were working, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now. It's kind of that simple. And Chad, before I ask you your own personalized You Might Alcoholic If line, what that line is, 
you're a young guy. You're 25. What is it like getting sober in your mid-20s? You know, a lot of old-timers will come up to me and say, man, I wish I got sober at your age. I, I look back at them and, you know, just with a look of incredulity, just like, are you kidding me? You had 40 extra years of drinking. And, it's like, and what they always <laughs> say to me is, yeah, 40 extra years of suffering that you don't have to go through if you totally. get this. So, you know, it's, it's difficult, certainly, and, and I, really, I really appreciate the work that you're doing to try to erase the stigma because I think that's really the biggest thing that's keeping people from seeking out recovery as an option. You know, it, it's something that affects something like 10 to 15% of the general population. Millions. It's something, yep. it's, yeah, millions, and it's not something that we can keep sweeping under the rug. So I'm really glad that there's podcasts like these, you know, that are being expressed through the mediums like – like in podcasting that are, you know, current and whatnot that are, that are doing the work that's really needed because I think if that stigma wasn't there, I wouldn't think it'd be that difficult to get sober in my mid twenties. But you know, it's, it's one of those things that you just got to keep moving forward and, and not spend too much time dwelling on because otherwise you're, you're doing the stinking thinking again and you'll get yourself in trouble. Stinking thinking. I love it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line. Huh. Well, you might be an alcoholic if you get behind the wheel of a car with two bottles of vodka and end up uh, floating in a canoe in Raven County where they film Deliverance and banjo music starts playing in the background and you think, oh shit, I think I might have a problem. Oh, I love it. I love it. Chad, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Paul, for having me. Now, ladies, I'm talking to you right now. Let's focus on the similarities, not the difference. In fact, that's a sexist remark. I know a lot of ladies who are really good at fantasy football. I want to talk to you guys about my fantasy football draft this last weekend in beautiful Bozeman, Montana. We've gone to Vegas six years. We've done Denver one year, and we all decided to come to Bozeman. It was an amazing draft. Actually, let me correct myself. The whole experience with my six best friends, that was an amazing draft. My actual draft, somehow I managed to draft a retired player. And apparently there are two receivers on the Seattle Seahawks with the last name of Lockett. And I picked the one that has like zero catches last year. Yeah, my goal is just to not finish last place this year. But in reality, the Fantasy Football League is a big part of my recovery. I was terrified in 2014 when we were in Denver, Colorado for our Fantasy Football Draft. These are my seven best friends. There are eight of us in the league, including myself. And the thought of losing these people in my life, man, it's terrifying. But due to the stigma, I thought if they found me out, if I was exposed, that I could no longer drink alcohol responsibly, that they would leave. I would get kicked out of my own fantasy football league. But towards the end of my drinking, I knew what was more important. I was ready for them to stop talking to me. I was ready to face the consequences, to face the music. Looking back, completely unwarranted trepidation, because guess what? They are my seven best friends. They love me and support me with whatever I want to do in life. But a quick recap. In 2014, we were in Denver for our draft. We were at the Denver Broncos-Titans preseason football game. I think after the first drive, I remember Peyton Manning throwing a pass. I just got up and left. I knew that if I stayed in that stadium, I was going to drink. Thanks to Pete for procuring tickets in the very top row of the stadium. It was like 700 steps, it felt like, leaving my best friends in the stadium. Tears were coming in my eyes. I didn't want to leave. I want to stay. I looked back up in the stadium. I imagined everybody was drinking, having a great time. I was the only one in the entire stadium that had a drinking problem, or at least I thought. I walked out the stadium, sat on a brick sidewalk, drafted a text message saying something like this. 
Hey guys, everybody knows I don't drink, but I want to let you in on the fact that it's much more serious than you thought. I'm really struggling with alcohol and I don't know what to do. I need to go back to the hotel because I know if I stay there, I will drink. Please, please, please do not come to the hotel room and check up on me. All I want right now is for you guys to have fun. I signed at Nighthawk. I'm not sure why I did that. I'm just kidding. I didn't sign at Nighthawk, but I really want to find this text and read it verbatim because it was the scariest text I've ever sent. I have an accountability partner right now with Cafe Recovery Elevator, and he's going through the same thing. And I just want to give him a virtual slap. Almost grab his cell phone for him, log onto his social media feeds, and just put it out there. Because looking back, that was the best text message that I ever could have sent. And fast forward two years, those same guys came to Bozeman, Montana, and we had the best freaking weekend of the year. Well, despite me drafting a retired player, gosh darn, that's a tough one to swallow. Oh yeah, and I almost forgot about this terrifying experience that I had at a bar when we were all going out in downtown Bozeman. Just because I don't drink doesn't mean I get left out with the drinks. When one of my buddies ordered drinks, it sounded something like this. Hey, we'll have seven Bud Lights and a soda water with a splash of lime. Boom. But for one of these rounds, my brother handed me a cranberry juice. I took a sip and whoa. It's like in those movies where the camera zooms in on your eyes, your pupils dilate, but at the same time, it feels like the camera's zooming out. Everything in the background is getting blurry, but everything in your short-term vision is just crystal clear. There were parts of my brain firing. My knees started to shake. Everything went in slow motion. I wanted to swallow so bad, but I knew whatever liquid was swishing around in my mouth needed to be ejected and fast. So I just spit it out right in front of me, a full mouthful of whatever. The bartender looked at me and goes, hey, what the hell are you doing? I walked up to her with this terrified look and say, hey, I am so sorry. I think there was vodka in there. I haven't had a drink in almost two years. And instantly she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. She pulls out a water and gives it to me. Really cool reaction from the bartender. But wow, the thought that my life could instantly change that fast had I swallowed that drink. In the end, it turned out to just be really nice cranberry juice. I passed the drink around to everybody in the league. We went to the bartender that poured the drink and said, no, this is just cranberry juice. The bartender said, no, this is cranberry juice. We actually have really nice, tart, fresh squeezed cranberry juice at this bar. I took another sip, didn't swallow, spit it back in the cup this time, not on the carpet. And I looked at the bartender and said, you know what, Lindsay, I'll just take the usual. She looked at me and said, who the hell is Lindsay and what the hell is her usual? I was like, oh, okay, no, no, I'll just do a uh, soda water, splash a crayon, and a lime, please. Ah, so refreshing. Her name ended up being Monica, if you're wondering. But my goodness, the thought of drinking again terrified me. I'm not staying sober out of fear. I can guarantee that one right now. Because fear will get you sober, it won't keep you sober. You don't get to almost two years of sobriety. Which, at the time this podcast episode comes out, I will have over two years of sobriety. I'm taking it one day at a time, but yeah, I'm going to get two years of sobriety. Bring it on, two years. I'm staying sober because life does continue to throw me curveballs. At times, I don't make it easier and I decide to do chewing tobacco. But overall, life is night and day so much better without alcohol. My decision to quit drinking on September 7th, 2014 was the best decision I have made in my entire life. And it is also becoming one of my most proudest achievements in life. So why not come join me? Why not take that blind leap of faith with me? I want for myself what I want for you guys. So recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 